Hey, everyone, a reminder, Beyond the Baseline, the tennis podcast on Sports Illustrated is brought to you by FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners, more payouts than any other site. Enter the promo code BEYOND, B-E-Y-O-N-D, at FanDuel.com for a bonus match of up to $200. We're also sponsored by the SeatGeek app, the easiest way to find a great deal, pay for your ticket, get to your seat, download the SeatGeek app, enter our code BEYOND, get $20 off your first purchase. There's a fine line between ranked top 115 and outside of that 115. You look at the depth of of tennis nowadays and everybody is good at every level, even qualifying a futures. It just shows you how tough the sport is, how physical it is. So for someone like me that's played 17 years on tour, devoted my life to it, just shows how dedicated I am to the sport and the fact that, you know, I never give up, you know, just like a a good businessman, you know, you got to put in a lot of years at at the company, you got to work hard in order to keep progressing and that's, that's what I did. Hey everyone, John Wertheim, this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. Our esteemed guest this week, Michael Russell, recently retired. Thanks for uh, thanks for the time. Yeah, uh, looking forward to it. Looking forward to talking with you. And I am retired. So let's start there. Congrats on that. Um, this uh, this this occurred at the U.S. Open. What's uh, what's retirement been like? I mean, it's it's been, it's been good. It's been good. Uh, been able to enjoy the house, stay home. Uh, I live here in Houston, so weather's been fantastic so far, and it's just been less stressful. You know, obviously, I'm not having to worry about playing a match every day, so I can just go work out on my own time, and, you know, I've really enjoyed it so far. What's your, I mean, we, we talk about this with other guests. I don't know if you, we had Eric Buderak on a couple weeks ago, who we talked about his transition. What's sort of, what's the role of tennis in your life right now? Oh, I love tennis. I mean, I'll continue to to give back to the game, to work with aspiring professionals, uh, juniors that want to try to get, you know, college scholarships, even possibly working for the the federation in the future. So I feel like I have so much knowledge and experience through everything that I've been through, you know, in that 17-year career that, you know, it would be a shame not to give back. There there was no instinct to make a a clean break and just say, you know what, I'm going into finance or commercial real estate or I'm going to open a floral shop and just be done right. with the sport. No, I mean, I, I love real estate. You know, I, I love looking at stuff and, you know, possibly as a side business in the future. But, you know, I, I was given an opportunity, you know, my, my parents taught me how to play and, you know, I obviously maximized everything I had. And I think I owe it to the tennis community and, and American tennis to help you know, build the sport and, and and get players back into it, and hopefully we can have another Grand Slam champion one day. I'm looking at your Wikipedia bio, and it is a source of uh, of great amusement. It's it's I I looked it up to see your career high ranking because the ATP website uh, is is a little crankier than than we'd all like it to be. But yeah. um, I, I see here, apart from saying it nicknames Mighty Mouse, Spanky Wheels, and Iron Mike. Um. <laughs> You were, you're your class valedictorian. Russell reflected, yeah. I was raised, as most Jewish people are, not to forgo a university education. 
Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure who has the has the password. To yeah, I was gonna say yeah. Wikipedia or who hacked it, but uh, there's some interesting stuff on there. You have a great publicist, but um, no, I mean you were valedictorian. Your your brother went to, to Harvard Business School. I, was there a point where you said, you know what, this this tennis thing has been a, a great run, but I've got some other options here. Let's go get an MBA and let's sort of get on with life. Yeah, definitely. I mean, my brother and I attended a private school in Michigan growing up, and I always emphasized education first. And, you know, a few years ago, I think it was 2008, I had a torn shoulder labrum and a couple rotator cuff tears, and it was a nine-month lengthy rehab. I didn't know if I'd be able to get back in the top 100. And there were a few times when I said, you know what, let me finish, let me go back to school, finish my business degree, and move on to something else. But great support team with my wife and family and friends. And, you know, I, I pushed through it and finished my degree online, you know, a few years later from University of Phoenix. I had a great program with the ATP. So I was able to get my bachelor's in business administration and then, you know, ultimately have five, six great years where I finished in the top 100, you know, after the age of 30. Looking back at your career, I mean, I think you're one of these guys who gets a lot of the David Ferrer remarks. And right. he gets everything he can out of his out of his game, and not necessarily the biggest player in terms of physical stature, but unparalleled work ethic. What what do you take the most pride in when you reflect on your career now? Like like you said, I mean the fact that I had to work so hard, you know, to win all the points, to get my ranking up. Never really had wild cards handed to me. I had to do it the hard way, and. Also, coming back from those injuries, you know, in 2003, 2004, I missed almost a combined 18 months with three different knee surgeries. So to be able to come back, get back in the top 100, you know, that particular time, and then again in 2009, after the nine-month layoff with the shoulder, you know, just reflected on my perseverance and work ethic and my ability to, you know, obviously in 2001 to break in the top 100, and then still be top 100, you know, 12 years later is, is pretty neat and, and just a testament to my personality. I'm curious, what happens financially? I mean, you, you had a number of injuries in your career, as you mentioned. What's the financial effect of that? Well, you know, as, as you know, I mean, tennis is performance-based. So when you're injured, you know, you you go back and you have to – you're at home, you're rehabbing, you know, my, my wife had a good job at the time as well. So, you know, we only had one income and and then you just work hard to get back out there. And, you know, you you have money from what you made previously, but you know, it's not ideal because there's no contract. It's not a team sport where your salary is is there no matter if you're playing or injured or not. So is that something you think players budget for? Just you know, I'm I'm going to have expenses, and uh, I may not have income coming. I mean, I know some players have coaches that they are contracted to pay, even if they're not playing and earning prize money. Is that something that you budget for, or is that just deal with it when it happens? I think it's a little bit of a combination of both. Um, you budget for it, but and you hope it doesn't happen. And if it does, then either you have a clause in your contract, or you have to figure it out. You know, hopefully. Your coach is someone who's, you know, one of your friends and is understanding, and you guys can work out the situation. I, I was just looking at results today, and I saw, you know, Ryan Harrison's 
playing an event in Fairfield. And it's a $50,000, you know, USTA event. Here's a guy that was a top 50 player. What was it like for you going back and forth between playing main draws of events, playing majors, not just the prize money that came with it, but all the amenities, and then going and playing some of these smaller events? How big an adjustment was it to sort of bop back and forth between what, what in tennis would amount to the majors and the minors? Yeah, it's a big adjustment, you know, for the most part, it's mental. You know, you really have to suck up your ego and, and, and make sure that when you go in there, you're not worried about the conditions and the variables and the, the different adversity that's going to happen in those events. You have to go in there with the mindset, hey, I'm coming in for one week, two weeks maximum to get the points, to make sure to stabilize my ranking in the top 100. You know, and that's what hurts some of the players when they go back and forth. If they don't have that mentality, then you can really see some up-and-down results, and, and they're not a mainstay on the ATP Tour. Roger Federer isn't the only one who had a bad week. The Ravens, the Chief, the Saints, of course, the Detroit Lions, they all took a beating in Week 5 of the NFL. If you love football, but you're sick of being let down by an awful team or an underachieving player, take back winning at FanDuel. Now you can play with up to $200 in bonus cash when you use our code BEYOND at FanDuel.com. FanDuel is the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners, more payouts than any other site. They'll pay out over $75 million a week this NFL season. Entry fees start as low as just a dollar, so there's a league for everyone. Over a million players have won money playing fantasy sports on FanDuel. Now it's your turn. Here's how you do it. Go to FanDuel.com, click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner, use the code BEYOND, and sign up now. Here's our special offer to new users. For every dollar you deposit, FanDuel will match it with up to 200 bucks that gets earned as you play. That's a bonus of up to 200 bucks. The offer is good only for the first 50 people that use the code BEYOND, so don't get left out. Again, FanDuel.com. Have a better week than Roger Federer and the Detroit Lions. Go to FanDuel.com, use the code BEYOND, and start playing today. I wanted to ask you, I, I think you, for most people, they remember you breaking through. It's, it's 2001. You're playing Quirton at the French Open. You're this e- easy-to-root-for American. You've got the defending champ two sets to love, and then he comes back and and wins the match. And I think that's when, for the casual fan anyway, that's when Mike Russell broke through. Right. How I mean, how much does that match impact you going forward? I, I feel like there are these matches all the time. You know, it's it's just pick a player and there's a close call, right? So Serena and Heather Watson at Wimbledon or, or Federer and Faya, and it always gets spun as the, you know, the, the top player had a scare but persevered. And I'm curious, how does a match like that play out from the other side of the net? I mean, did it, did it take you a long time to get over it? Is this a career highlight to you? Is this a career disappointment? What is it like from your perspective to, to be so close? Yeah, everybody always brings that match up, and they think it's a negative for me. You know, they always say, oh, you're so close, which you know, I was. It was an inch and a half away from the ball, you know, being out and being in the quarterfinals, being the number one player in the world. But at the same time, I mean, I just came through qualifying, saving a match point first round qualifying, I'm in the main draw of the French Open for the first time, and then all of a sudden I'm in the fourth round playing the number one player in the world. I'm going to be in the top 100. I'm playing on center court in a grand slam. So I had all these firsts, you know, at this one tournament. So 
So for me, like you said, it was a breakthrough because the first time I was in the top 100, being so close to beating the number one player in the world on his favorite surface, of course I wish I would have won the match. I mean, who doesn't? I'd be stupid to say, hey, no, no, it was a great experience, but, you know, hey, at least I tried. No, of course I want to win. But at the same time, that gave me the belief and the strength that I could be in the top 100. I could compete with all these guys. And, you know, I went on to to have great matches and and beat top 10 players and have some good matches with even, you know, former number ones or number ones at the time. And I think it it was kind of a launching board for my whole career. If I had said to you then that, you would have 15 more years of tennis in you as well. Um, how did you? Yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think I would have believed you. I would probably would have slapped you or something. <laughs> There's no way that would have happened. Is is that the mentality of players now, though? That they see guys like you, and and you know, we we all know about what's happening to the ages of, of the men's side in particular, but but the women's side as well. Do you feel that players are sort of recalibrating their career, saying, hey, look look at guys like Mike Russell out there still going strong into their mid-30s? Yeah, is- definitely. You know, I think it's it's so much of a business now where, you know, everybody has their teams. They spend more time on recovery, stretching, massaging, nutrition, you know, the the strength programs. They're all geared toward maximizing their, their tennis per, per, uh, potential and making sure that they play well on the court, where before I don't think there was as much sacrifice as there is now, and I think that's allowed players to play you know, a lot later in their careers and, and keep peaking. Can I, can I ask you an honest question? Um, yeah. you, you mentioned this, this topic of longevity, and when you talk about it, inevitably there's this cynical corner that says you know, you're, you're overlooking some less wholesome aspects of this if, if you and, and not just in terms of players playing longer but just recovery and, and what you see from a fitness standpoint if, if you're if you're me if you're in the media you're covering this sport how much time are you devoting to skepticism about anti-doping I mean how, how big an issue do you think that is inside tennis if, if you were covering this from the outside I mean it's hard to say I'm sure it's an issue but at the same time I mean there's standards for testing, I mean, in tennis, it's very strict, you know, especially compared to other sports. There's a lot of out-of-competition testing. You know, I've had people show up my door at 6.30 in the morning, you know, unannounced, and, you know, obviously you got you got to give a sample. So it's hard to say the sport isn't clean when we have all this testing. We have blood testing in competition, out-of-competition. You know, I, I want to think that it's clean. You know, I mean, I... For all the testing that I'm doing, it's it's hard to, you know, not think that it's it's a clean sport. I mean, I, I my guilty pleasure is MMA. I don't know if you're there was there was actually a fight in Houston yeah. recently. Um, I don't know if you're into that sport, but you know, you talk to fighters and they'll kind of go down the list. And I lost to him, but I don't really count that because I know that he wasn't clean. And there, it's a real sort of chatter topic in in MMA. Um, yeah. What is, what is sort of the chatter factor in tennis? Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's as bad in tennis. I mean, usually it's okay. I lost the guy. He was, you know, he's super fit. I mean, most of the guys have the persona, you know, how they play. It's not all of a sudden this guy came out of nowhere. He's super strong. He's super fit, and then all of a sudden, four months later, he's not fit and he's not strong. You know, most of those guys that can play forever, they've always been playing like that. So it, it doesn't have that surprise factor. Or maybe in some of the other sports where you know a guy comes out of nowhere and, and wins a fight and beats someone, 
So, I mean, the locker room, I, I think it's it's pretty calm just because, you know, all of us are in the same boat with the testing standards. So we all think that it, it's relatively clean because we're doing all the tests all the time. Whether you're looking for a ticket to your favorite NFL game, college football, or even ATP World Tour Finals in London, the SeatGeek app is the best way to find a great deal. And now when you buy tickets on SeatGeek, use our code BEYOND and SeatGeek will send you a check for $20, no catch. Here's how it works. Download the SeatGeek app on your phone or Android. It's free. It takes less than a minute to download. Search for your event, find a great deal, enter the code BEYOND when you complete your purchase, and SeatGeek will send you a $20 check Back to you. It's that easy. SeatGeek is paying you to use their service. SeatGeek is like those travel websites, like a kayak that pulls in deals from hundreds of sellers online and shows you the best value automatically. When you shop on SeatGeek, you're seeing just about every ticket option available all on one page. The SeatGeek mobile app makes it so easy, so seamless, and also so safe. No counterfeit tickets. Get involved. Here's what you do. Download the free SeatGeek app. Enter the promo code BEYOND. SeatGeek will send you $20 once you've made your first purchase. If you want to go see live tennis or the NFL or baseball, use the SeatGeek app, enter our code BEYOND, and save $20 today. Our colleague here at Sports Illustrated, Richard Deitch, does a must-hear podcast about sports media. This week, he landed one of his most wanted guests ever, WWE announcer Paul Heyman. Don't miss this special edition of Sports Illustrated's media podcast with Richard Deitch. Search for it on iTunes. Visit si.com backslash podcast for more info. L- let me ask you about tennis. I, f- I feel like there's you-, you talk to people about tennis and everyone has an idea for how to change the sport and the strings are out of control and the schedule is too long and Davis Cup needs to reboot. L- let's go the other way. What do you like about this sport? I mean, you, you could have played a variety of sports. You're an athletic guy. You're a good soccer player. What in tennis fed you? I mean, what, what, why did you choose this sport, and what, what do you think its virtues are? Well, the one-on-one aspect, I mean, you don't have that in any other sport. There's, you know, golf, you have a caddy. Boxing, you have a trainer in your, in your corner every three minutes. Tennis, it's just you out there. So it's, it's extremely tough, not only physically but mentally. And so I gravitated towards that because I liked being the sole responsibility of, of my actions, winning and losing. So obviously it's tough when you lose because it's all on you. But at the same time, you know, you win and it's a, it's a great feeling that you, you went out and, and put out the hard work and all the effort and, and you're the one who won. So that's what really drew me to the sport. How much did you use analytics and data in your preparation yeah i mean I, I was always analyzing and creating match reports you know really dissecting my opponents because you know that's the way i play that was my strengths you know i have to use my mind and you know maximize my skill set to do that to my opponents because you know the average height i think on the atp tour is about six two six three now so most of the guys are you know serving 130 135 so you have to use all your tools to be able to do that, to, to get through and, and, and try, to, try to win the match. Yeah, I was going to add, towards the tail end of your career, what, what do you think posed the bigger challenge? Stand, you know, standing 5'8", five, 5'9", five, or playing at 35, 36, 37 years old? Um, good question. Might be a mix. You know, I didn't move as fast. I'm still human, so I probably moved faster than the normal person, but... 
when you look at my speed at 22 compared to 35, I wasn't as fast, but still super fast. And I, you know, I took the ball early. I changed my game. Early on, I stood a lot farther behind the baseline. And then later on in my career, I tried to take the ball early up close to the baseline, a little bit more like Agassi style, and take time away from my opponent. And I think that helped me have success later on because I wasn't covering as much court as I was previously in my career. So, but yeah, I mean, as, as the height, average height gets higher, you know, the average serve speed is getting up there. You know, everybody has a good serve nowadays. And, uh, right. Seconds, you know, you're, you're seeing guys are second serve too moving around. Um, now that you can sort of divorce yourself from this, give me your five fastest, uh, give me your five fastest guys out there. Five fastest guys. Yeah, I mean, I, th- uh, I think most people would have put you even, even deep in your 30s. I, I think you're making yeah. most people's list. Um, now that you're retired. Who are the, yeah, well, <laughs> active players. Who are the five fastest? Active players, okay. Uh, Nishikori, one. Uh, I think Novak's up there now. He's really fast. Novak, um, Ferrer, three. Let's see, we got two more. Is there a sleep? I mean, you know, people people might say Donald, but is there? Remember, remember the guy Bjorn Fau? Yeah, P-F-A-U. Bjorn Fau, super fast, super fast, right? You, is there? You said active players, though, right? John. No, but I'm thinking, is there a guy? <laughs> is there a guy like in that fifty to hundred range who people might not know of, who's may may have some other deficiencies, but how's that blinding speed? Yeah, well, I mean, you can't. It's hard not to have Rafa in there. I mean, Rafa's super fast. Um. Uh, Jack Sock is fast. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, he's very explosive. And then, yeah, Donald. I mean, Donald in a twenty-yard dash is has an incredible acceleration. I was going to say, there's there's a forty-yard dash. Uh, you think Nishikori's winning that one? I yeah, my money be on Nishikori. So quick. So what? You, you know, Samichek plays that match against Rafa mm-hmm. in in Australia, and. You know, maybe not unlike your match against Quirton, it was sort of a a good effort and a, and a close call against a champion, and he he made a lot of made a lot of fans. And afterwards, I I was really taken by how outspoken he was about the act of sportsmanship, but also just sort of about his life and what it's like being in that position where you're you know between maybe eighty and one twenty, and you're you're going back and forth. What do you want people to know? I mean, you obviously played a lot of tennis, you played a lot of majors. You've also, you know, played a lot of challengers as well on the on the pro circuit. What do you want people to know? I mean, what sort of if you're you're, you're pitching a book on uh, Mike Russell's tennis life? What what do you want people to know? Oh, I mean, for my life, it would be just the perseverance and the determination. You know, there's a fine line between ranked, you know, top one fifteen and outside of that one fifteen. You know, so. You're playing ATP events. You're still traveling the world, you know, regardless of your ranking, but you're playing more Grand Slams. You're playing the tour events, the bigger venues, uh, more glamorous, nicer hotels, uh, more money that's being made. Where outside of that, you know, you're playing a lot smaller venues. It's a lot tougher, a lot less glamorous. It's not that, you know, picturesque professional tennis life that a lot of people think. So, you know, everybody is starving to get to that higher echelon of one fifth, top 115, top 110. You know, guys, you look at the depth of, of tennis nowadays, and 
you know, everybody is good at every level, even qualifying a futures, you know, the level is so high now. So it just shows you how tough the sport is, how physical it is. So for someone like me that's played 17 years on tour, devoted my life to it, you know, it just shows how dedicated I am to the sport, how hardworking I am, and the fact that, you know, I never give up, you know, regardless whether it's injuries, um, setbacks, losses, you know, just like a, a good businessman, you know, you got to put in a lot of years at, at the company, you got to work hard in order to keep progressing, and that's, that's what I did. Good company, man. No, I, I was thinking for as often as you hear the cliches about you know, teams and athletes that they, they leave it all out there, you really are a guy that wrung every last drop from your, uh, from your career. You're, you're to be commended for that. Um, Thank you. This, this is a good, good, good a place as any to stop. I don't want to keep you much longer, but this is great. I really uh, I appreciate this. Good luck in uh, your retirement. You'll, you'll be missed out here. Thank you. Yeah, I'll, I'll miss the competition, but you'll, you'll see me around. I'll be involved in tennis. Sounds good. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Thank you, John. That's this week's SI Tennis Podcast. Thanks for joining us. We'll do it again in seven days. Thank mm-hmm. you.